0: Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena,
1: what did you get obsessed with this week?
0: Just before we start this episode, just wanted to remind you that we have a mailing list. You can find the link in our Instagram bio. We'll also be launching our dinner series, Spots Are Limited, so sign up for our newsletter for more info on that. So... As per your recommendation, I started watching Indian matchmaking on Netflix and I became utterly obsessed with this show. If you haven't seen it, it's about a matchmaker based in Mumbai, but she flies all around the world to help people, specifically Indians, find spouses. So there are some in America and some based in India, and they're all generally young people. And I got utterly fascinated. Just with the way that she matches people, the things that she takes into consideration, the way people view marriage, the way that people view matchmaking, and just this entire wedding complex, and just the entire process, and specifically just the sort of things she takes into consideration when she's matching people. Because she's kind of a little bit like a dating app, just in real life, but the things she's taking into consideration are the complete opposite of what you take into consideration on a dating app, right? On a dating app, you only have people's faces. She only has the information that her clients provide to her. And based on that, she matches people. She also goes into astrology and things like that. But generally, she's working sort of off of the things that her clients provide her with. And it just sort of got me thinking about what does marriage mean? What do weddings mean? What does all of this mean in the context of, you know, 2020?
1: Yeah. So like you were saying at the moment, I think a lot of us on dating apps, which you look at the picture first and you swipe left and and right. And with her, she asks like, what is important to you in a partner? And so people say, well, I want somebody who's like family oriented. I want somebody who is ambitious. I want somebody who has a good sense of humor or who doesn't have a good sense of humor. Somebody who, there was one woman, Arpana, who on her list, there was something like, she wanted a guy who knew that Bolivia had salt flats. So these are all the values, the main things that she takes into consideration, not looks. Everyone wants at some point, like somebody who is, well, not everyone, but a lot of people do say they want somebody who's tall, fair, and thin, which highlights a lot of problems in Indian culture about colorism looks and all of that kind of stuff and they also actually a lot of guys families a lot of men are looking for somebody who's flexible and the word flexible gets used a lot and Rina, you had a really funny question for me (laughs) when you left me a voicemail about what is this flexible stuff
0: yeah i just i really didn't understand what flexible meant in this context i sort of guessed what it meant but they just kept using it so often i was just like okay surely this is culturally coded somehow like i'm not understanding the context here of the word flexible so i had yeah you had to explain it to me
1: yeah so they don't want somebody who's really good at yoga or somebody who if you change the time of a dinner they'd be cool with that what it is is that an indian woman normally goes traditionally to live with her in-laws after she gets married which means that she has to adjust to how everything in that household runs and she kind of has no say in it traditionally so that means that if in your household you like eating your mum's potato curry and you have potato curry in a certain way in the new household you have to eat and make the potato curry the way they like it and adjust to their salt levels and spice levels or whatever you have to eat at the time that that family eats at you have to if that household which was shown actually in Smriti mudra her last film which I actually interviewed her about was called A Suitable Girl and it's a documentary that follows three women. She followed them. She shot about 700 hours of footage over the period of four years and she followed three women. One of them was actually Seema the matchmaker's daughter and Seema One was a Mumbai school teacher called Dipti and the other one was called Amrita, a young Delhi cosmopolitan, a a woman who was, you know, working and living in the city and super smart. Anyways, in her case, in Amrita's case, flexible meant that when she went to her in-law's house, her father-in-law didn't like that she was wearing Western clothes, which until that point she had always worn jeans and dresses and things like that. So she had to wear saris and it was really sad that you saw her open up the wardrobe and in her wardrobe, all of the Western clothes that she really enjoyed wearing and felt comfortable wearing all folded right at the top of the wardrobe so that's what flexible means also in general indian women and i think all women in general maybe this highlights some of the things in our own culture as well are expected to be more mindful and adjust more to men rather than be really insistent. And this also brought up one of the protagonists. If you haven't watched this, you have to binge watch the show and then come back to this podcast. But one of the protagonists, Arpana, there was a really funny tweet that had a picture of Arpina who was very strong-minded and did not want to be flexible. And above her picture, it said, the show's villain. And then next to that picture was something that said the actual villain. And underneath the actual villain was the following text, which says, the perpetuation of harmful stereotypes that women have to be tall, thin, light-skinned and subservient in order to be considered desirable.
0: I really loved Arpana because what I liked about her was within the first six seconds she was just like I'm not going to compromise. And she's like, she's a lawyer. She's ambitious. She likes to travel. And I honestly agree. I don't see why she should compromise on any of the things she has in her life. I do think that, not to analyze her too much, but I do think that a lot of her unwillingness to compromise comes from her childhood. Because if you know, then you they go into her history with her mother and her father and her past. And you're like, oh, I see where this comes from. But I support her 100%. She was great. She's one of my favorite characters on the show. And Priya Krishna, who is a cookbook author, she was also binge-watching the TV show, and I was, like, following along on her Instagram before I had watched the show, and she was bringing up all these things around, like, colorism and... The unaddressed things in the show. And if you don't follow Priya on Instagram, go do it. Also buy her cookbook, Indianish. Just a plug for Priya, because I really like her. It's interesting that you liked
1: her. My mom thought that she was rude. But then a German guy that I know, the straight cis man, said, I don't see why everyone doesn't like Harpena. I mean, she's very straightforward. And that's a good thing. So... She might go really well with the German guy because the Germans are just dead on and very direct. And she's also very direct. And the Indians are not direct at all because there's a lot of societal niceties and stuff. And I remember when I first came to Germany being British, the British are not direct at all. And then the Indians are really not direct at all because there's a lot of politeness. And then you come to Germany and then you get this directness, which I think is really good. And also the thing with Arpenite. So her mother had a marriage that did not work. And when this happens, and, and a lot of, you know, what she taught her daughters and her children was that you have to be very independent. You have to be very strong-minded. You have to be very well-educated in order to be independent. And, you know, this is a really important thing for, like, if it goes wrong. So I think a lot of her stuff, Arpana's kind of progress in the show is that she's kind of scared of it going wrong, like her mum. And it's true that when a marriage goes wrong, it's, I mean, it was very damaging for the generation before. So her mother's generation. So she does say on the plane, when she takes the plane from England to America and she's got her kids with her who are too young to understand what she says. But she says to her daughters, I expect nothing less than three degrees from you. Which seems like a strange thing to say to like children. But she just knew at that moment what the important thing was for them to achieve in order for them not to be in the position that she was in. And I think everything ARPANA stands for is kind of good for women but the other thing about being flexible is that yeah she does have very strong ideas but she does also want a relationship and I think compromise to some extent is important in a relationship. And maybe your idea of what you want and the matchmaker's idea of what is good for you are two different things. So Seema, the first match that she matched her with was this kind of podcaster who had just moved out of his parents place. I mean, he was a bit of a loser, but he was very relaxed and he was completely the opposite of her. So I could see why she had done that. She was understanding and empathetic. She did grasp something about those characters and be like, Arpana, with her ambition and her style, standards would help pull this guy along and him with his relaxness could help relax her so i was like oh she's a genius but that match didn't work out at all and in fact i was just looking at all of the matches which ones worked out and which ones did not every single one did not work out which is hilarious she plugs herself as mumbai's top matchmaker and all of the ones shown in the show did not work out which is a real shame and then also smriti who is the director actually met her because she was looking for a partner in her 20s and she ended up marrying somebody that was not introduced by Seema either and her first documentary shows Seema trying to set up her daughter with Someone and arranging that match, and her daughter has no interest. Like her, her daughter works for Ernst and Young or something in Mumbai, and she's just not interested at all. I mean, it's a good match, and I think it will, it will be a really good marriage, actually, those two. But her daughter says in the end that she will not make her children go through any sort of pressure to get married at all.
0: You know, which one about them not being together that I thought was really interesting. Akshay, the one who actually got engaged at the end, they're no longer together. And in the article, it said because he found out something about his to-be wife's family that changed his mind. And I was like, what was it? I need to know. What happened that made you change your mind? I guess we'll never know, but I would really like to know.
1: Rina, I know. It's going to be something 99% of the time, just because I'm Indian and I know these things, it's going to be something so small and so petty. Honestly, people are just so hung up on small things and especially his mother seems so controlling that I'm sure the girl seemed really nice and he's in my opinion he's lucky to get anyone. he's a really nice sweet boy but he's totally dominated by his mom which is so interesting it really reminded me of this article about Game of Thrones and all the women in Game of Thrones and this is what happens when women don't have power how they use and grab power and This woman is amazing because she obviously is in the patriarchal system. I mean, she wears the trousers in that family and she does it by all these means, emotional manipulation, directing when everyone's going to have a baby. She's really upholding this entire structure. I mean, the woman is incredible, but the guy is kind of...
0: Oh yeah, he's a wet blanket completely. He seems so apathetic about his own life. Like the part that really shocked me was when he met with the matchmaker, when he was trying to describe the type of woman he wanted or was interested in it was like just say your mother or like
1: i think he actually did say someone like my mom at some point during a documentary to be fair
0: yeah so i guess just all of this got me thinking about marriage and just weddings in a more general sense. One of the things that automatically came to mind is, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie 27 Dresses with Katherine Heigl. It's a very generic mid-2000s rom-com about a woman who has been a bridesmaid's 27 times, that so she has 27 dresses. But one of the things that James Martin's character says in the movie to her is, I think you want a wedding, not a marriage. And I always really thought about that because... They are two very completely different things. And I guess what I was sort of thinking about coming out of watching Indian matchmaking is the fact that people describe marriage as an institution, but wedding as an industry. According to Vox, the wedding industry was worth three billion in a year in the US and globally it's worth $72 billion. So it's this massive industry. And I think it's so manipulative to young women and what, I guess this week what I was really thinking about a lot is, I don't know about you, but I don't ever remember dreaming about getting married when I was younger. The wedding didn't really ever cross my mind. I can't actually remember ever thinking about being married either. Nothing about it ever appealed to me. Because I think that this idea of putting on a white poofy dress and because... All of the depictions and all of the images you sort of get of a wedding growing up are all very negative. You know, have these shows like Bridezilla and Say Yes to the Dress. There's so much emphasis put on consumerism and it's the bride's special day and just all these like kind of negative stereotypes.
1: I mean, I definitely remember when I was young, the sentence being like, oh, when you get married, or it was just assumed, and therefore it's an idea in your head that you're going to have a wedding one day. And then also, like, if you look at Barbie dolls and all of that, they're just wearing those big poofy dresses. My friend Christina, who is, has never been married totally not into weddings at all is actually a single mother her daughter keeps on doing these weird things with her dolls and staging weddings and she's totally freaked out by it she's like this has not been part of what I've been teaching her but she just keeps on staging all these weddings and dressing up and wanting to wear a veil and all this kind of stuff <laughs> and we're just like okay she'll grow out of it but I guess the messaging is so strong from when you're small and yeah and everyone's looking forward to this date which is the wedding but they're not thinking about the marriage and the marriage is a long-term thing so I think partly what the Indian matchmaker Seema does do well is that she is matching the fundamental values of one person with another person which is in the end what is really important also marriage is an institution so there's a problem between like looking at just the wedding or having this really romantic idea and building up towards that without an idea of what a marriage is and the marriage is a very practical thing For most of history, marriage was not associated with love or romance at all. It's only really in the last 200 years that this really started with the Enlightenment and this idea of the pursuit of happiness. In fact, a Roman politician was expelled from the Senate in the 2nd century BC for kissing his wife in public, which the essayist Plutarch condemned as disgraceful and also actually like in the 12th and 13th centuries a European aristocracy viewed extramarital affairs as the highest form of romance because they were untainted by the gritty realities of daily life so now because our whole concept of marriage has kind of shifted we have to match all these romantic ideas along with the realities of life and that doesn't work very well probably why the half of marriage is Do break up. Not only that, like, I'm not sure whether it's a model that is a natural model anyway, I guess.
0: We talk about this briefly in our episode on romance and TikTok and love during Corona. Vox does a Monogamy Explained video, which we reference in that episode in which they talk about how the first evidence of monogamy is about 1200 years ago when we stopped being hunter-gatherers and learned how to farm. And so marriage was introduced as a way to form alliances, make peace treaties, and women were essentially treated as bartering tools so that, you know, you could gather resources, acquire in-laws, and get more land. In preparation for this, I was rereading Modern Romance, which is a really interesting look at the way that love and dating manifests in a current cultural context and in the book which was written or published in 2014 it points out that in the 1950s the average age for women to get married was 20 and the average age for man was 22.5 but in 2014 the average age for women to get married is 28 and the average age for men to get married is 30 and the book makes a point of emphasizing as you mentioned That before, people used to get married out of what they called convenience. So for women, it was a way to get out of their parents' house because they had very little agency. And getting married, you know, allowed them to move out. Whereas then they would be under the control of their husbands. But hopefully, you know, they got to be adults. Whereas now, we have what they call marriage of love. So we're getting married for love. Apparently. And along these lines, the Atlantic reports that only half of Americans above the age of 18 are married nowadays, when back in the 1960s it was 72% of them were married. And I actually kind of think that the fact that more people are getting divorced nowadays is a good thing. People are always like, "Oh, back in the good old days, people stayed together." Yeah, but women didn't have a lot of rights and agency. To me, a higher divorce rate means that women can leave shitty situations. Or not even necessarily shitty situations. They don't even have to be bad situations. You can just not be in love anymore or you can be unhappy in a very non-threatening abusive way and you can leave. And you can do that now. Our grandmothers Well, actually, my grandmother's divorced, but it wasn't all that socially acceptable to do it, or they couldn't even do it. Also, I think this idea that if you get divorced, it means your marriage, it wasn't successful is kind of silly because, you know, as someone coming from the theater industry, even the most successful show ends eventually. Doesn't mean the show wasn't successful. We're so conditioned to think in one particular way. And in the same Atlantic article, the author mentioned something interesting. She tells her friends that she and her significant other are thinking about getting married and that all her friends view it as her assessing whether or not the relationship is serious. And she sort of thinks about this idea that, oh, why in order for my relationship to be serious and worthy of being held to the same degree and standards that you would marriage, why do we have to be married? Why is the fact that we love each other and are committed to each other not enough? She goes on to sort of cite a ruling by Justice Anthony Kennedy in which he writes that the idea of marriage offers hope of companionship and understanding. And I was sort of thinking back to our episode of loneliness, and people sort of view marriage as an anecdote to loneliness potentially. And along these lines, just dropping references and things I watched left and right. But a while ago, I watched this BuzzFeed video, which was one of those things where like, best friends try being married for 24 hours or like one of those silly videos. And while the video was really silly and a caricature of what marriage or a committed relationship actually is, he did say, Oh, it's nice to know that someone always has your back. You always have a team player. And thinking back to that, I was like, maybe people were getting married less and less. And maybe people are, maybe people are getting married not just because the people who are still getting married is it because of tradition or because we're scared of loneliness
1: actually i think a lot of people get married because of like it's a legal legally binding contract i don't think it's because of loneliness really i think stability is one thing stability happiness and support and loyalty and really nice things and one of the things in the documentary that they showed was a little bit like when harry met sally you know these couples who are just sitting on the sofa and talking like they were obviously a lot older and they had had 40 years of marriage or whatever they just look completely comfortable with each other and had been through their lives together and grown together or whatever i think also though that that format if we're talking about the documentary pointed to an ideal that is not always achieved and it presented a picture like when harry met sally of this idea that is very hard to achieve and very seldom, but yet there's a disparity between how often we're shown that image of people who are happily married all the way until the end of their lives. And people you know who do find that marriage is difficult and need to break up for whatever reason. Also, I think one other reason which folds into legality a bit is children. So if you have children in a marriage, and actually the word marriage is related to the Latin word matrimonium, which is derived from the word mother, so mater. And the purpose of marriage was originally the production of heirs. A woman was given as a piece of property, and all the property would pass down through these heirs. It's interesting that you say
0: stability, because in the Atlantic article, they surveyed some people, and one of the main reasons that people said they got married was stability, They talk about how research has shown that for children to lead a happy life, they don't necessarily need two parents, they just need stability. So this idea of you need to get married for the kids is thrown out the window as long as you have stability.
1: Also, just at some point reduces your probability of getting uh, cervical cancer and sexually transmitted diseases if you stick to one partner. Another great reason for marriage, not getting syphilis. Unless you choose the wrong partner who has syphilis and then you're fucked. <laughs> but actually, what's really interesting about debates that are going on today are people saying if you have gay marriage or people are getting married less and divorce rates going up, that you're destroying family values and that it's also against religion and Christianity but in ancient Rome marriage was actually a civil affair that was governed by imperial law. It's just that when the empire collapsed in the 5th century the church courts took over and then they elevated marriage to a holy union so it was a progression that happened way afterwards and then as the church's power grew so did its influence over marriage so they kind of just took over the institution of marriage. In 1215 marriage was declared as one of the church's seven sacraments alongside rites like baptism and penance. Another interesting thing is that it was only in the 16th century that the church decreed that weddings be performed in public by a priest and before witnesses. And then it became, you know, this big show that we have today. And then the other thing that was really interesting, when we're talking about, you know, all of this anti-gay marriage, pro-church stuff, is as same-sex unions were also kind of carried out by churches until the 13th century, they had these male bonding ceremonies. These happened in churches across the Mediterranean. And they kind of looked more or less like the other marriages between a man and a woman. They were also known as spiritual brotherhoods and they included the recital of marriage prayers and even a ceremonial kiss. So the author Eric Berkovitz, who wrote Sex and Punishment, says that it's difficult to believe that these rituals did not contemplate erotic contact. It was the sex between the men involved that later caused same-sex unions to be banned, and that happened in 1306 when the Byzantine emperor Andronicus declared that such ceremonies, along with sorcery and incest, were unchristian. I saw
0: a really funny
1: meme this week where it said boomers, double point, and then
0: it said gay marriage, no, and then it said millennials, gay marriage, yes, and then it said Gen Z, gay, yes, marriage, no. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the way we talk about marriage in a modern day context is very heteronormative, isn't it? And the way we talk about weddings specifically, I should add, is incredibly heteronormative. I mean, I guess moving forward, I wonder what wedding and marriage are going to look like in the future. I just wonder if they're going to be important with the next generation. Like, if this meme is anything to go off of. (laughs) Because I don't know if I... Like, I I don't want to say I'm against marriage because that's definitely not what I mean. Because I think that there is something nice about the idea of loyalty and commitment and stability. I'm not the biggest fan of a lot of the sexist, heteronormative ideas in weddings. I also personally don't think I would ever want to have one because that sounds like my worst nightmare. I like the idea of having a party to celebrate something. Like, love is a beautiful thing. And the idea of getting all your friends and family together to celebrate love, that's genuinely very lovely. I can get behind that. I guess that's sort of like where this idea of, like, commitment ceremonies come in, right? People feel like they have to do something which signals to the world that their union is as serious as a marriage is and they kind of want to have the same thing without going through the legal paperwork because the end of the day like you get a marriage certificate you sign some sort of a license like it is a legal contract i have a
1: friend who's kind of like you and she got married recently she had an indian wedding because she kind of had to but she's very strong-minded and it's really not her thing she never even wears a dress let alone full-on wedding gear and after the ceremony i was like how are you feeling she was like I feel like a clown, and she was really just annoyed at all the makeup and stuff she had to wear, but I found that ceremony really interesting. It was an Indian ceremony, and it's very sexist in a lot of places, so for example, when the groom arrives, the mother of the bride, traditionally in Indian weddings, has to wash his feet and things like that to welcome him, and it's just, I mean, there's a load of stuff that is just so sexist, but I think there is a place for it as an institution, and I think the Indian wedding, the symbolism that it uses... I think if you think about that in terms of marriage, I think it's very clear on what marriage is. And what marriage is, is the Indian wedding always takes place within four pillars within a Munda. You cannot get married underneath the open sky. There must be a kind of canopy over you, and that represents a home and the four walls that it contains. And within that home, the two families actually sit as well as the bride and groom. So it shows you within a social context and a lot of the time Indian marriages are the meeting of two families so I think that's really important too do your two families somehow go together seems to be a big thing in the arranged marriage you know where are you socially at least it's very strongly rooted within society and culture the institution of marriage and then the other thing is the four pillars also represent like four principles the first one is about duty and responsibility so traditionally obviously this would be what is the husband's duty what is the wife's duty and that has to be figured out and the second one is Arta which is kind of like success so are you working towards it's like Arpana with her ambition or all these conversations that all these people were having about do they want to homeschool their kids do they want to what are their ambitions for building a life together in very material terms and I feel like a lot of people who get married they're aiming for the wedding they're aiming for romance and they're not thinking in very practical terms of how do we organize our finances stuff like that so that's the second pillar the third Pillar is Ashikama, which is desire or love, which needs to be there, obviously. And the fourth one is Moksha, which is a little bit like eternal bliss or salvation, but I think it's a bit more, are you spiritually aligned? Do you have the same principles and beliefs in some way that you're looking beyond your home and doing a duty in a wider sense? And I think those are really good pillars to build a marriage on and a really good thing to kind of keep in mind also for relationships in general like you i'm not against commitment and marriage per se obviously show indian matchmaking has shown like there's a load of other stuff just woven into marriage sexism the caste system but yeah i think that's probably that's probably the best stuff that it represents and in that case if you both want that i think there's still a place for it in Western weddings, we have, you know, the
0: father walking the bride down the aisle and handing her off. Just like all these like sexist things within the wedding ceremony are kind of kind of stumped. Also the fact that it wasn't until very recently that brides started wearing white. It was popularized by Queen Victoria to wear white. And so the context of like white also being this color of purity and innocence. I can see you asking why. And I think I knew, I think it was a fashion statement. I think she just wanted to be different.
1: Ah, oh, yeah, because I looked at old pictures of shots on wedding days in here in Germany and they used to wear
0: black. It's also interesting to note that the Celts used to wear red wedding dresses because this signified fertility and that you would wear black if you were marrying a widower or your last husband had died. But actually what that makes me think of is that in Germany... Red is still considered the color of the bride, so you don't wear black and you don't wear red and you don't wear white to a wedding because traditionally a mature or sophisticated bride wears red, or if you're getting married for the second time, and black because it's a funeral color and white because it's the color of the bride. And speaking of wedding dresses, our three things you can do to be a better person this week are presented by Megan Espeland, who runs her own bridal accessory company based in Denver, Colorado.
2: Hi, my name is Megan Espeland, and I'm the founder and designer of Eula Bridal. Eula Bridal exists to serve brides by offering size-inclusive, affordable, and ready-to-wear bridal accessories. You can find us online at eulabridal.com. That's E-U-L-A bridal.com. And here are the three things you can do this week to be a better spouse, partner, or significant other. I'll give a small disclaimer here. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Leanne for a total of 11 months. So use this advice at your own risk. The first thing you can do when your partner's upset, ask them if they want to vent or if they want to problem solve. Being a good partner means respecting their answer to this question without judgment and adjusting to be an excellent listener if they just want to vent. Or if they do want to problem solve, it means listening and also engaging with them to help solve whatever problem they're having. The second thing you can do to be a better partner this week is realize a lot of you and your partner's poor behavior comes from unresolved childhood trauma. When you find yourself on the receiving end of your partner's harsh words, Avoidance patterns, or just generally messy behavior, realize it's there, and I'm air quoting here little self acting out. Sometimes when I'm being awful, my wife will very gently ask if little Megan is with us, and it helps us both have compassion for all the experiences and trauma that have shaped who I am today. If you want to learn more about this theory, you can Google the book Healing the Child Within. And lastly, take time and space for yourself. The old adage of you can't pour from an empty cup couldn't be truer. The importance of taking time to recharge and reset so you can show up to your relationship authentically and lovingly cannot be understated. Thanks so much for having me on Misinformed.
1: If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you
0: like, you can share your internet obsession with us, tweet us, and follow us on Instagram at the underscore misinformed or email us at
1: misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. Find the link via our Instagram or our show notes. We are an independent,
0: nonprofit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can give a one-off donation via SoundCloud or become a patron on patreon.com slash misinformed.
1: Thanks for listening, and until next week.